everybody and hello humans this is not a robots marvel comics weekly review podcast this week we are finally finishing up the king and black event uh, and bringing you some reviews on some awesome marvel comics my name is kirk and i am live from the mojo verse and i am joined today by my co-hosts brandon Came all the way from Krakoa for this, so you better enjoy it. Isaiah? Hey guys, how you doing? And Tom? My disdain for Thaddeus Ross has waned. <laughs> we are here to summarize, analyze, and editorialize every comic we review without worrying about publisher backlash. This week, we are covering... Full reviews on Venom issue 34, King and Black issue number 5, Immortal Hulk number 45, Avengers issue number 44, Marauders number 19, with lightning reviews on America Chavez number 2, Amazing Spider-Man number 63, Avengers Mech Strike number 3, Runaways number 35, and Excalibur number 20. You can reach us on social media at NotArobotComics. Uh, you can reach me at Kirk Hopko on Twitter. You can reach Isaiah at Cap underscore Fields and Tom at TJAXZI on Twitter. We answer all show mail sent to notarobotcomics at gmail.com. This next segment is dedicated to all the fans who support us with their hard-earned money, but that's not the only way you can. You can like, post, and share our podcasts, and that's the best kind of support that we could ask for. But now, for the fans who do support us on our Patreon, with tiers starting at just $1 a month to keep bringing us the content you love, this is the Not A Robot Must Be A Human shout-out and roll call. And that roll call goes to Weird Science Jim, Hollister, Blue Mondays, and Roch Crockett. So what are you waiting for? Get on Patreon and show us that you might just be a human after all, and get a shout-out on the Not A Robot Must Be A Human shout-out and roll call. And with that said, what's new, guys? Uh, you know, uh, you know, I was taking a good look at that uh, Loki uh, second trailer. Mm-hmm. Looking pretty good with all the Easter eggs. Uh, I haven't even seen it yet. I oh, you're missing out. Hmm. You got some of the, mm-hmm. the timekeepers. You got some references to some scrolls. You got uh, uh-huh. Judge Renslayer. All that good stuff. <laughs> King. Very nice. Yeah, I'm definitely excited for it. I uh, honestly, the only thing that I'm bummed about in that entire Loki series is that there's a, a month and a half between when Falcon and Winter Soldier ends and Loki begins. Right. Because I've just gotten so used to having this uh, this little micro dose of of Marvel every Friday that I'm just shooting into my arm. Yeah. Going back That's to nice. back. 
but yeah. I'm definitely enjoying it. And there is a Star Wars show in the meantime. The I don't remember its name. Ah, uh, oh, um, is it the uh, is it Obi Wan? No, there's a six episode. It's the Bad Batch. The hmm. I'm floundering. We're yeah. moving on from yeah. Star Wars. This isn't. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, not the Mandalorian. We already watched that like four months ago. Mm. And uh, in in terms of the comics, what are what are people's thoughts on some of the the recent news regarding the uh, the Hellfire Gala? I know they're doing like a couple new titles. Sounds like some relaunches. Personally, I'm pretty excited. I uh, seeing the. You know, that Hickman is going to be writing a, a classified title that is being uh, shown off, I believe, in September. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for what he's doing. I am excited also, I think it's either next week or the week after, to read The the Way of X. Yeah. Uh, I've been looking forward to that one for a while. Oh, yeah. But I, I got to say, I'm, I'm a little bummed to see him leaving the X-Men title. I hope, my, my hope is that it's... Whatever next project he has, it's like a second X-Men team. Because I don't... I don't know. It just it would feel weird to not have him on the main title. Mm-hmm. And I've also seen on the the art where they announced the, the new X-Men titles, one of the classified titles, the classified logo is just a little lower than the title. Yeah. Like, they purposefully gave us the top, yeah. like, three millimeters of this title. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's people already theorizing what letters those could be. Yeah. And the the most popular uh, understanding of what those letters could be is something that starts with the words, the trial. Yeah, which I've heard could be like a Scarlet Witch thing. I would really love to see Krakoa finally address Wanda. Yeah. They, they've loosely talked about it like they showed it in the crucible issue that you know there's a lot of hate against wanda oh yeah and i would love just love for them to uh to do either even a short run just sort of dragging that baggage out and seeing what comes of it yeah yeah my my only hope i guess just just because i'm a, I'm a big fan of his is that you know Jonathan's not taking a, a back seat to the whole like grand experiment um, just because you know I know he's really been pushing the direction and it would it would be unfortunate to see him leave but my hope is that you know the whatever comes next is is pretty important and I've, I've heard speculation that he might be doing it with his old east of west partner which is a book at image uh, Nick Dragota which would be really exciting. He also did uh, Future Foundation with Nick Triota, so I don't know. There's a lot of interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Hickman is one of those acquired taste writers, if I'm being um, somewhat, uh, I don't know if it's critical, or <laughs> I yeah. love some of his work, and then... With Krakoa, I don't know if he, if he got too far into the weeds, but part of it was very interesting, but he tends to be very dense. And I think if you get caught up in some of that density, some of the, the fun 
gets squeezed out of it. <laughs> um, and I don't think that's true of everything that he writes. I definitely like Hickman in a lot of ways, but I... So it, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting on, on how he approaches that next book. Oh, yeah. No, I, I hear that that um, that opinion often. Uh, I, I think it's probably different for me just because, like, I'm, I don't know. I guess I'm a fan of that, that yeah. like, dense style because um, Jonathan has said in an interview. I don't know why I'm calling him Jonathan. Like, we're best <laughs> friends. Like, I know <laughs> like, him. Do you know Jonathan? Yeah, no. Yeah, I do. I don't know. I, I do that with Grant Morrison, too, where I'll just be like, well, Grant said Grant. this. And I was like, yeah. wait a minute. I don't know you. Like Hugh um, Grant? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, but no, uh, Hickman has cited um, Dune uh, as one of his key influences. And okay. if you've ever read Dune, you'll know that a lot of the chapters will start with, like, mm-hmm. like information taken from fictional texts. And, in fact, the back of the book is, like, a glossary. And it's mm-hmm. it's definitely a very dense, um, heavy mm-hmm. information book. So you can see that in a lot of the stuff. And I think because I'm mm-hmm. such a fan of, of Dune and, and of books like that, it, it, it tends to work more for me just because I think it, it can be an interesting way to present information as opposed mm-hmm. to just, you know, someone just saying exposition but yeah i can definitely see how that would get grading to some people after a while i i, I definitely felt that a little bit in avengers sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no that's okay yeah i first got on hickman in the marvel stuff with uh i think he was writing avengers and then he went into secret wars this is going back to 2016 now mm-hmm. and i don't the artist does matter for me uh in combination with hickman i think ribbick was the artist on Secret Wars? Yeah, okay. And he was wonderful. I think he oh, yeah. had a way of taking the grand concepts that Hickman was writing writing and making it really just gorgeous to look at. And it's not a knock against the artist that's been on the X-Men book, but it hasn't been quite as capturing my attention as, as some of the other artwork that and I think that's important. I think if you have a dense story where you have to try and keep the audience interested in what you're doing, you do need to have the art um do some heavy lifting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mhm. I I hadn't heard what you had said about um uh about Hickman taking inspiration from Dune, mm-hmm. but in that seeing, especially all the the documents and the yeah. the excerpts, yeah. like I, I've loved that we've seen in some of these X Men comics, like mm. almost pieces of like Nightcrawler's new scripture, mm. yeah, and it definitely has that vibe, like you said, Dune, and literally my brain just dived full into Dune of that. You know, that praise Shai Halud, yeah. bless the maker and his water, bless the coming and going of him, and may his passage cleanse the world. It'll have, like, you know, how the, they'll start with, like, future texts about the Muad'Dib and all that stuff. I guess we're going to talk about Dune now. There's a movie coming out. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, you know what I mean, where it'll talk about, like, that, or maybe it'll say something about, like, the practices of the Bene Gesserits or or whatever, but it's like that 
you're, you're giving someone information before they even have the full context for it. And that, that sometimes can be really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Moving on from June, <laughs> as much as I am. Like, <laughs> I felt so bad because it's like, uh, if you haven't read it, you're just like, whoa, what's going on? Oh, um, it is a dense book. Yeah, it I is. Love it. But yeah. Someday, maybe maybe we'll do like a like a literary podcast, or or even better yet, we could do when the movie comes out um, on HBO Max or wherever it is, we can mm -hmm. do that for the movie podcast. But anyway, sorry. Mm -hmm. hey, completely unrelated. Full <laughs> sidetrack. Now there is also an incredible Dune board game. Oh, really? Um, mm -hmm. Oh, really? <sighs> it is. Such an incredible board game. Um, I have a copy of it, oh. and I'm sure I could find a copy to play on, like, Tabletop Simulator or something. I would love but, to play that. Yeah, it, it, it is literally like each person plays one of the six so great houses cool. of Dune, and they are, and they are like, completely unique mm. and so fully immersed in Dune's, like, lore, yeah. like... The Bene Gesserit get to, like, figure out how they're going to do in battles before they decide whether or not to do them. Mm. The, like, Atreides run the auctions and they get so essentially cool. foresight. It, it's such a crazy game. Mm. It's... <laughs> oh, man. We are now full dude. Yep, we are yep. disembarking from that. Oh, what's, what's a marvel? <laughs> Um, let's let's go into our Marvel okay. full review segment, starting with Venom number thirty-four, brought to us by writer Donnie Cates with artist Ivan Coelho, color by Jesus Abertov and lettering by Clayton Cowles. I'm going to hand it over to Isaiah now for the summary on this issue. All right, so Venom number thirty-four. So I went into this uh, with. High hopes, you know, because I'm a huge fan of the symbiotes, even though they're so convoluted and a little confusing. And and you'll see that when I, you know, give the you know explanation of this issue. Uh, so, no, he's kind of already started doing his thing. Uh, Earth is covered in this like symbiotic dome. Uh, Eddie Brock and Venom, you know, they thought they were really cool. They thought they they could do this, you know, almost on their own. Like they had like this entitlement or they had this need to do this alone so nobody else gets involved um as we've seen previously in the whole king of king and black arc that's been going on um but of course no being the badass that he is uh just kind of strips him of venom and drops him to his death thus him getting really hurt and you know being kind of like in protective custody by uh reed um, but Eddie's spirit, you know, kind of lives on as a codex in the symbiotic hive, uh, where he kind of gets in touch with Venom and he meets with Flash and he's able to somewhat kind of come back through the codex. That was kind of the part that really kind of got me confused, uh, due to the Enigma force, which is. Uh, later on this, uh, mentioned so far in this uh, issue. And because of that, they were able to come back as almost like a virtual version of themselves or like a thought or a memory, I guess is one way to say it. 
Uh, Eddie actually mentions it as he's like a ghost, uh, not really being there. And due to that, they were actually able to kind of release this God of Light and, you know, kind of release the Enigma Force, and that brings back Eddie, uh, and thus bringing um, Venom back, too. So now they're back in the fight, uh, powered up more so than they were before, and able to start you know, bringing the conflict back to, to Null and putting Null in kind of in a corner because now at this point, uh, the one person that can honestly hurt him is back in action. And from what it looks like that Venom is going to be, you know, trying to redo what he did before is trying to get in the hive by utilizing a dragon and try to harm him from the inside. And it looks like, from this, it does look like it's going to be ending relatively soon. Uh, thank the Lord, because this has been a long time coming. And, it, you know, it's, I think this issue did have some points in it that were just a little bit confusing, because there is a lot going on. You know, you, you have Eddie just kind of, like, bursting into, like, light and, you know... Parts of the symbiote just kind of ripping off and, like, shooting out into pellets. And I think some is lost here. Like, some, some stuff is lost in translation. Because there is just, like, this, like, blinding light that's kind of, like, you know, letting you know that, you know, Null's kind of hold on things is starting to really weaken and break down uh, due to the uh, this god of light and the enigma force. Um but that's kind of a lot to happen. You know, there wasn't, like, I would say too much that happened in this issue. It was just kind of the the whole Codex thing and then the Enigma Force, uh, Captain Universe, God of Light kind of being, you know, light being shed on that mystery. Ha 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 jokes. Mm. Um, but that was, that was kind of it. I You know, it was eventful, but at the same time, it kind of overshadowed itself wow, another light pun going on here um but yeah uh what did you guys think on that you know i was gonna say i was just gonna comment on the art real, real quick on page six there's a full panel spread i love this this panel here it shows um eddie brock just the symbiote all around him and he's got all the Kind of that typical webbing and stuff, but I just love the colors. I like the perspective that you get, and you can see Eddie Brock in the foreground, and in the background you see a mountain with this thing in the background. And the letter, they do a nice job, I think, putting the letter balloons around some of the stuff that you want to see so it's not disrupting the art. So I, I just wanted to call that out. Mm-hmm. Honestly, there are some gorgeous, like, full-pager and a gorgeous two-page spread in this one. The one on page six with Eddie falling, and then the one on page eight with him going f full symbioted up. Mm -hmm. And then on ten, there's the two-page spread mm -hmm. of the, I guess, the Venom Colossus. Mm -hmm. 
and you know they all just look great like mm-hmm. striking imagery of symbiotes and even though everything in this book is black red or well that's really it <laughs> right <laughs> um yeah. black red or eddie let's <laughs> right <Black, laughs> um it's still striking. Like I, I still, I actually really enjoy the art, which is something that has sort of been with this. The tie-in comics and this event have sort of been lackluster to me because I feel like not every single artist can take that sort of null-covered aesthetic to the height that it's at. Mm. But definitely here, uh, Ivan Coelho really like flexing. And the coloring with Jesus Evertop, like just they're nailing it in this issue. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I like the uh, the full panel on page eleven. It shows uh, Veta with his tongue out, and there's yeah. like a dragon coming down. It's just kind of a fun, mm-hmm. yeah, I fun art. Like the like the separate panels where you kind of have all the heroes looking up to the sky, you know, mm-hmm. with the blinding light. And like, mm-hmm. you really get a sense of how, how blinding it is because you can kind of tell from how vibrant the colors are in that particular, those particular panels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of it, they do a nice job. I think um, it was mentioned that there, there's not a, a real wide variety of colors in the, in the spectrum here, but they still do a nice job with perspectives. So you'll, there's some panels like on panel... Panel number 13, you can see in the background, it just creates some depth. And you have black with some um, brighter shades around on Venom's uniform or whatever. And it pulls him to the front. And I think that looks cool. I like it when you can see an artist um, do that with such a limited palette of colors. And, you know, it's like uh, what Kirk was saying about... um Specifically, page, I want to say, what was it, eight, uh, you know, with the whole We Are Venom point. One thing I really like about the, you know, the artist and the the colorist, what they did is, um, you know, you can look at any of the Venom panels where they kind of highlight Venom doing something, you know, crazy or, you know, somewhat destructive. Um, You can always look and see you can tell what's just going on you can get a really good sense of uh the denouement of you know where you're at what's going on what time period you are and you know kind of like the the intensity of the moments that are going on in venom and i particularly in you know page eight i like how they give they they highlight that venom is now in control that he is now in, in, in the sense of power uh, because, they, you know, they give the height advantage of Venom over Null and Null kind of, like, shrieking in anger that, like, you know, well, he even says no because he, he understands the gravity of the situation now that he's losing his grip on his uh, invasion. Mm-hmm. Plus, I like the highlight, the blue highlight hues on his chest and eyes. Yeah, my my general thoughts on this issue, aside from the striking art, um, at first I was I would say like only slightly disappointed in that 
It was either King in Black number four or the last Venom issue number 33. I don't remember where, but one of them specifically ended with essentially the same panels that we get in this issue mm. of Reed identifying that the Enigma Force is coming yeah, and it hitting Eddie. Mm. So I, and that was, I think, well over a month ago now that I have essentially been waiting on, okay, what happened after the Enigma Force hit Eddie? And this sort of backtracked it because it was Eddie in the Hive, which was fine. I, I do like Eddie in the Hive, and Eddie, like, Kate is really great at talking or writing the conversation between Eddie and the symbiote. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts, so I, I wasn't too mad about that, but that sort of rewind and then showing the read scene again, essentially yeah, felt- with the Enigma force hitting Eddie, I was like, okay, we're building suspense. And then honestly speaking, the fact that after the Enigma force hit Eddie and he summoned all of this power that he could, there wasn't like a dynamic reveal of any kind after that um like it is almost ends the exact same way eddie is glowing he's filled with the enigma force it's exactly where the last issue ended and then it cuts to the the cemetery for that big spoiler isaiah did you spoil that in your summary no i did not i kind of wanted to leave i'm gonna leave yeah i'm gonna leave that because i think people should read this issue Mm -hmm. only because i think that's exciting Oh, yeah. The the cemetery has something that I hope will be exciting in the future yeah. of comics. But, but I don't I don't know if it's too surprising because you know it's Marvel. Yeah, <laughs> it's it Marvel. I I was just about to say something about that character. I was like, oh, you know, he's he's blankety blank, and I was like, no, that'll give it away. Yeah. Kirk stop. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think with that. Once you know, once the re, uh, you know the viewers, you know, see what that spoiler is, uh, I, I think everyone will kind of surmise of how this is gonna end, you know, <laughs> how they're gonna win, because once once you honestly look at it, you kind of just put the two and two together, literally. Mhm. And. Uh. And yeah, and the biggest thing like with that is with Kate's, I believe Kate's last issue of Venom is number thirty-five. Yeah, or I think he he's ending he's ending on the two hundredth issue yeah. of Venom, and I don't there hasn't been any formal announcement to what he's moving on with next, but I think he has plans for what he just did here in Venom thirty-four. It's spider. Definitely Spider-Man. You heard it here, folks. Yeah, I, or Brandon's placing I'm, I'm all placing his bets on Spider-Man. I'm placing my bets on Spider-Man, and I, I think it might be possible just because the it sounds like Spencer's wrapping up after seventy-four, which is conveniently, I think, around the time that two hundred comes out, or maybe a little bit after. I'm not entirely sure, but. If if I had to put my money on it, it's Spider Man. 
just because I know they, they need someone. It's either going to be someone that you know that's big taking over Spider-Man, or it's going to be someone from left field, kind of like Nick Spencer was. Mm -hmm. hmm. All right, with that, let's rate issue uh, 34 of Venom. Let's start with Isaiah. Um, as much as I liked it, even though I was kind of confused for a portion of it, I'd say it's a, it's a seven. I think until you get to the latter half of the issue that you're like, okay, this is this is really cool. And the art kind of like really carries it for this issue. And I think the next issue will probably get a higher rating just for what's going to happen. Um, but for this in this instance, yeah, no, the 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 latter half of the issue kind of carried it, and it was kind of a re a, a recap almost. So yeah, a seven. All right, and Tom. So I will go with. So I have different rating scales. Like this is your basic, you know, popcorn comic, right? <laughs> You don't have necessarily a. You're not looking to Venom for some deeper meaning of life. You're not going to go to to a Venom book to try to find the meaning of life or anything really that deep. So you're just look, hoping that it's fun, right? That it it has the voice of the character, and so I think it does that. So that's why I would give it probably an eight out of ten. Uh, just because of for what it's supposed to do, it kind of does what it's supposed to do. And um, I think it flows really nice. I think the art is the highlight of it. Um, but I don't think the I don't think it, it does anything overly confusing or distracting. It doesn't take away from the overall narrative or the story. So I think that it, it has a lot of things going for it. Mm -hmm. All right, and Brandon? Yeah, I, I had fun with this issue, you know, even for being a, a tie-in, um, and uh, and I, I felt like it was satisfying in a way, um, even if it could be a bit redundant from things that I already read in King and Black number four. But um, I, I think it just kind of like Tom said, it just does a, a solid job of capturing Eddie and. Uh, really, that's that's all I was looking for, I guess. So it, it was satisfying enough for me, um, but I think the the art, not to sound like a broken record, but the art is really the standout of this issue um, by by Yvonne. So I ended up giving this one an eight out of ten. All right, and I enjoyed this issue well enough. I felt like, like I said, I I was minorly disappointed, but that was more in expectations management because mm -hmm. I felt like the last comic I read left Eddie at a point where I was excited to see what happened next and then this comic technically spent 24 pages not showing me what happened next and so that was on me so I, I'm willing to not blame necessarily the the writer and the, the comic itself the art is the standout here, but in terms of events that happened, it was just some popcorn-level Venom fighting, and then Venom Eddie comes back, and then the brief scene at the cemetery at the end. So with that, 
I, I gave this one a 7.5. Standout art and the dialogue between Eddie uh, and the symbiote is always really good. Donny Cates really knocks it out of the park there for me. Oh, yeah. So, so it was a good issue. Not mind-boggling, but absolutely a decent uh, popcorn issue, as, as Tom said. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that. Yeah, fits in line with the, the whole of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, that concludes Venom, sort of, because now we're moving right into the finale event, uh, King in Black number five, brought to us also by writer Donny Cates, uh, with pencils by Ryan Stegman, ink by Ryan Stegman and J.P. Mayer, with color by Frank Martin and Jason Keith, and lettering by Clayton Cowles. This issue, we see it picking up Right where Venom left off, uh, but also bringing in sort of where King and Black left off. The Silver Surfer has arrived. He is here to uh, to fight Null. He conjures, conjures, manipulates his his board into a silver blade, uh, and he prepares to fight Null, who's staring him down with all black, the Necro Sword. And the Avengers file in behind him, and they're all ready. And you get this, you know, striking Avengers assemble, rally and cry. Uh, they're they're ready to fight Null, and then Venom shows up. And I really, I I'm just gonna shout it out now while I'm here. He just lands in the center, and there's this gorgeous art of just Venom saying, "Yeah, we'll take it from here." Yeah. And from there, Venom, spoiler alert, this one, this happens very early in the issue, so we're going to be dealing with some spoilers here. Venom uh, summons Mjolnir and the Silver Surfer's board and fuses them into a weapon for him to wield (laughs) against Null in just... It, if the last issue was popcorn, this one is this one is pure pulp action. It's so crazy. <laughs> Caramel and some other things on that corn. Yeah, well, it's just like um, I don't know. It's it's so like over the top and ridiculous, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I I almost no. mean that in a good way. Like when you're you know, a kid, and you're playing with your toys, and you're coming up with, like, crazy scenarios, except you're reading it in a serialized comic book. Um, but it's just just seeing them put those two things together is just so funny. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. so ridiculous. Yeah, and and you're you're totally right. In in a way, like like a kid might mash things together, where they're just like, mm. "All right," but Cap's shield becomes Mjolnir, and it's also adamantium. Yeah, like like right? they just start yeah, like you're hacking stuff exactly, off. Exactly, like you're like seven years old and you're playing with your Marvel action figures, and your cat comes in, and you're like, "Oh my God, it's the." giant wildebeest of death. I need to use, you know, Iron Man's repulsor rays and combine them with Thor's hammer to create a mega ion flux to destroy the... You know what I mean? It's like that. Yeah. I think... And whenever you have a book, sorry to interrupt, but with 
the thing that we love and we hate about Kate, but he does it in this book, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, just as soon as your brain says, is that is that legal? <laughs> is this supposed to happen? Yeah. Your next thought is, I love it, though. <laughs> yeah. So, like, like, good on you for embracing that, you know? It's not, it's, it's not even, like... I don't even think it's trying to be self-serious about it. It's, it's like it knows that it's silly and it's it's steering into the skid. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what follows that dramatic scene is really just Venom versus Null. Uh, Venom powered up by the Enigma Force. And he he's slashing through Grendel's. He's fighting through Null. He's taking out the Celestial, and he is showing Null who's boss. He is treating Null exactly the way Null has toyed with everyone. Um, there's a few just gorgeous pieces of art of a Venom just beating down Null, and uh, as is to be expected. With the finale of an event series, Venom wins. I'm not going to go into a lot of the details. There's some striking imagery of him winning, and how he wins is, I don't want to say a trope, but it is something that superhero comics have done with a few villains. Um, and it's just, it's always cool when a villain is defeated this way. And so then Venom addresses the ongoing tensions uh, with his son, who is still infected by Null's influence. And the Enigma Force leaves him. And the comic resolves with sort of leading into uh, Venom issue 200, Venom 35, where, where we find out that now without Null, the symbiotes need a leader, and Venom's going to have to figure that out. Um, and that's the issue. So, what are what are your all thoughts on King and Black number five as as the finale to this uh, to this event? Mm-hmm. I think I've definitely made it pretty clear that I've mm-hmm. been having a lot of fun with this event, just because it's it embraces its over the topness um, in a way that's not. I think too silly, but also feels justified in a way, um, and it, it really works perfectly with the art um, by Ryan Stegman because it, it certainly creates the right atmosphere for you know um, a book like this. Um, so I, I I ended up just like I said feeling like I had a really satisfying ride the whole way through with a satisfying conclusion. I actually kind of like the status quo that it sets up for Eddie. Um, and one of the more interesting things that I'm, or one of the things that I'm more interested to see uh, happen next is, you know, what happens to the Enigma Force? Who does that go to? And is that something that Kate's will explore in future? But, um, yeah, no, I just, it, it was a lot of fun. Had a great time and uh, it's just cool. Wanted to highlight the cover. What did you guys think of the cover of this book? It's great. It's pretty cool. Isn't it? <laughs> pretty cool. 
I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that cover. I mean, you look at that, and that when you if you walk into your local comic book store, outside of the great smell that comes over you as you walk into the <laughs> store, <laughs> you see this cover on the shelf. I mean, you're going to grab it. Yeah. Um, it just captures so much. And so I think creatively, I think this is really creative, the way that he doesn't hold back. But he does pay attention to the important stuff in here. Um, yeah. Because Mjolnir and Silver Surfer and that sword combined together is going to be pretty powerful. So I like the idea that that thing is really powerful when it's wielded by the Enigma-empowered Venom. Like, th- that all together should do some real damage, and it does. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. I mean, you have to pay attention to those kinds of rules, and I love that he does that. Yeah, you know, I think the entire event was it was pretty neat. You know, they definitely got a good crew going on to, you know, flesh it out and give it something that, you know, readers would want to, you know, see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I from the beginning, you know, I was pretty iffy on it. Uh, and then after, you know, going through, you know, all the parts, the tie-ins and everything, and sometimes we're way better than others. Um, I think, you know, Coates, you know, and doing the kind of the meat and potatoes of it, I think it really showed that he kind of, he really did care about this event and, you know, kind of as a send off before he's done with, uh, Venom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I really liked it. Uh, even, even the whole, you know, you know, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, let's put all our guns together and, you know, do do our little yeah. blaster attack on the enemy. Oh, you know, that, and that's that's what I thought of. I thought of Voltron and I thought of the Power Rangers. And I'm like, yeah, let's just put all our stuff together and see what yeah. happens. And uh, as funny as it was, it was it was cool. You know, in my head, I'm like, ah, that's so corny, but I love it. Yeah, I know. no, it's like, it's... It's it's a point where you almost have to embrace your inner child. And I know that sounds like a like a cheesy justification, but I don't I don't know. I just like it's something that I can't shake. Where I'm just like, oh, this is this is so ridiculous, but it's just it's it's fun. It's not even and, trying to hide it. And it was almost like mm-hmm. that like you were saying how like oh well this bad guy came and. Now we gotta fuse these two things together to create a bigger thing, and it it almost reminded me of when like when you're talking crap with your friends about like superheroes. Like I remember my buddy, he loved you know Batman, and I really love Black Panther. And he like, mm-hmm. well Batman can do this, and I was like, well Black Panther can do this, and then like you're all like pretend fighting, and you're like, well I got a force yeah. field that can protect me from anything, and he's like, well I got a I got a gun that can. Destroy any force field, and it's like that. That was <laughs> the kind of mean? moment that I got from yeah. it. Almost, it really brought in like this, like you know, mm-hmm. childish flavor text that was like you could, and almost anybody could uh, relate to. Yeah, mm-hmm. I loved it. I it definitely also when you were talking about the the Voltron putting everything together, it definitely reminded me of. Uh, you know, a few years ago when we had uh, Flash give the symbiote <laughs> to Red Hulk when uh, Ghost Rider gave 
the spirit of vengeance to Red Hulk, and you ended up with this mega Red Hulk Venom Rider thing. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> oh. um, I love just it. a famous mishmash of just throw it all in the pot and see what sticks. Yeah. But sometimes, and I'm glad not all comics go this way, sometimes you need that. Yeah. Sometimes you're just like, you know what? Venom with Mjolnir and Silver Surfer, like, and the Enigma Force. Uh, let's let's throw that together. Um, also, I am gonna, as a brief aside, just do a quick, like, one minute history on Captain Universe and the Enigma Force for those listeners out there who don't know much about this semi-obscure Marvel character. Uh, just because I thought it was really cool when I was reading about who the Enigma Force was uh, I want to say 10 years ago when they did the, when the last time I noticed him in comics was but the the Enigma Force is famous as Captain Universe who was initially launched I think in the in the 70s era like older comics as the hero who could be you <laughs> Because what the Enigma Force is, is it's essentially this ethereal force of goodness and justice and righteousness that only comes out when the forces of good desperately need it. And it just picks an appropriate host who can solve the problem as Captain Universe, or that's how it used to be, as Captain Universe. They would take on the mantle of Captain Universe, fight it out, kick butt, and then pass it on. And we've seen brief issues of Daredevil as Captain Universe, Spider-Man, and the Silver Surfer, even. Um, which is what led to, in a previous issue of King in Black, when Silver Surfer was trying to make a way for the, the Enigma Force to get to Earth, mm -hmm. he, he makes a comment, oh, you're not here for me this time. Uh, because he is he's joined with it, and he thought he was sort of the Enigma Force's go-to host, but that is not how the Enigma Force do, apparently. So it's... It, it really is just kind of like a plot element. Gotcha. <laughs> it, it, it's, I, I don't know that there's ever been a long enough run of Captain Universe to really explain like, the Enigma... I mean, they called it the Enigma Force because I think no one understood it and they didn't want to understand it or they didn't want to write a backstory for it. Right. Um... Which also leads to, like, I love a lot of the things in this comic. The fighting is striking. As a as a finale, it does feel good. It's pulpy. Um, my Continuing from my one minor disappointment from the last issue into this was that we didn't get a new look. Captain Universe plus Venom, I was so, like... Since that issue aired, I was like, okay, what's it going to look yeah. like? How is it going to integrate with his costume? We we get one money shot, because we're only... I, I knew as soon as it was the Enigma Force, we're going to get one issue of Eddie Brock as Captain Universe. Like, what's this going to look like? they got to sell pop figures of this thing. Um, <laughs> and they didn't do it. It was just Venom. Yeah. He just looked... Like Venom, yeah, because I and I was so surprised. I, I've seen the the Spider-Man Captain Universe, and I, I guess I 
I too was like expecting something that would look a little bit like that, you know, with the blue and white, but I guess not. I guess he kind of did in Venom 34 mm. with his, you know, glowing eyes and his glowing, like, whatever creature you really want to ca- call that on his chest, tarantula <laughs> spider thing. Um, I guess that's the closest thing you were going to get to that. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I was definitely mm. missing. I was looking for that, too. Like, some cool, like, you know, uh, Cayman Riders transformation. Like, he just turned into some brutal badass. And they're yeah. like, no, it's still or, him. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the, the double page spread of Eddie kind of wielding the axe right now. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I guess he does kind of have a costume i mean it's it's a little different because you can kind of see the glowing um symbol on his chest and he has constellations up and down the black but and it might be a little bit tinted blue i i i can't really tell oh i guess i didn't really notice the constellations yeah no i was just because there's like because there's like the embers Mm -hmm. all around so i I guess I never noticed yeah. that up close. Yeah, there are constellate. All right, all right, I'll give them. So I guess there technically is a new costume, but I, I hear what you're saying. Where I, I guess I was expecting something a bit more classic looking. Yeah, I just wanted something a little bit of white, a little bit of blue. Yeah. Still could look mostly venom. That said, they can still just sell me a pop figure. Hmm. Of, not that I collect them, of Venom just holding Mjolnir in a surfboard. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll <laughs> gladly take uh, the Marvel Legends figure or the maybe, like, one of the little mm-hmm. statuettes of him with this giant axe. Or even just the giant axe, because I'll give them credit. Yeah. That's a well-designed axe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with King and Black, let's, uh, let's, let's throw out our ratings for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start with uh, Isaiah. Yeah, I'll just give it a nine, just because of the whole nostalgia factor of <laughs> the Mighty Morphin Voltron power up, Cayman Rider, nineties. <laughs> you know, you're right. Fight with your friends, nineties throwback. I'll yeah. give it a nine just because of that. All right, and Tom, I'm gonna give it a nine as well, and. Just in addition to everything that we said so far, I want to add that it, there's an element of horror to this entire issue with the unnatural combination of all these different entities. And along with horror, you have a lot of blood and you have a necessity, which is the beheading <laughs> of several <laughs> creatures along the way, which is definitely essential for horror. And... If nothing else, there is a a perfect line from Spider-Man, page 17. He goes, I hate this symbiote stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that is self-aware and also extremely funny. And I I give it so much credit for that. They have dropped that line in, I think, in three or four different places. I love that. In Kate's Venom run and Absolute Carnage run and King in Black. Just, there's a lot of people who are just, like, they're, they're picking up on this ongoing joke of just, I hate symbiote stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brandon? 
Yeah, no, I, I, I really love this issue, so I gave it a 9.25 out of 10, I think, for pretty much similar reasons to everyone else, where it was the nostalgia factor, and it was just, it was a lot of fun to, to, it was just a lot of fun, I think that's, that's just my key word, where it's just like, it's, it's something where I just be like, oh, that was nice, that was, that was fun, I had a, I had a fun time with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also gave this issue a nine. I I liked the action. I liked it as a finale. Event finales are are always tricky. I find some of them feel a little lackluster, but this ended with you know, especially with what we kind of expect from like a, a Venom comic. We it was just something big, extra, and a big clash, a big fight some action, some resolution, and some decent resolution. Mm. Uh, like, I'm, I'm a fan of where this ended. I'm excited to see what Venom 35 does to close out this arc. And I'm hoping they don't leave Venom alone immediately, like, or for long. I, I hope they put someone else on a Venom issue because there's a lot of stuff here that, you know, Eddie Brock's journey has been really good. It's been uh, sort of littered with self-doubt mm. going through this. And I, I think between defeating Null, saving his son, and even just being a valid host for the Enigma Force should prove to himself that he's not who he thought he was way back in Venom issue 5 and so I, I don't want it just to resolve and then Venom just fade for half a year of comics yeah that would suck <laughs> so I, I hope to hear more about an upcoming Venom run and I uh, but we do have one more big Venom issue left the big 200 maybe they'll surprise us mm -hmm. And I, I, if if that is the case, because it, like you said, it would be unfortunate if they canceled the book. But if they do keep it running, I just I wonder who who's going to take over and what they would want to do next. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Big big shoes to fill, unique shoes to fill. I would oh, say yeah. maybe it was a better way to say that. Mm. Absolutely. All right, moving on, outside of King and Black, we're now in regular comic sphere. Well, as right. regular as you can get <laughs> with The Immortal Hulk, number 45. Brought to us by the amazing Al Ewing on writing, pencils by Joe Bennett, uh, ink by Rui Jose, and color by Paul Mounts, and lettering by Corey Pettit. And I'm going to hand it over to Tom for the, the summary on the Immortal Hulk. All right. So I love the Hulk. Um, there's been times in my life when I thought maybe the two of us were actually the same person. So yeah. that's that's the headspace I'm coming from. I hope that's not the case. I know, right? Yeah. I think something you want to say. <laughs> yeah, I know. Is there something you're going to confess tonight? Yeah. Um so there's a quote, and, and Ewing loves to put a quote 
in you know he put he's put them in every single one of his books but it starts off with this quote the lowest ebb is the turn of the tide and that's a henry wadsworth longfellow from this book called loss and gain and i always wonder when i read that hmm, i wonder what kind of foreshadowing that might have in it embedded in it and inform us about what we're about to read and it heads into this scene on Staten Island on a ferry boat, a very ordinary scene, I would say, in some ways, something that we might run into if we were all still taking boats places and not all masked up and everything else that we've been doing the last year. And then right after that, there's a picture of this entity, and it says, take a deep breath, folks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that is a way of Ewing and the artist working together to say, okay, we're going to go from your ordinary life and headspace that you've probably been in before you picked up this comic book, and we're going to jump into something a little bit crazy. And so it starts off with the remnants of this battle between the UFOs and the Immortal Hulk, which ended with the Immortal Hulk um, going to the below, which is what happens when he dies. And so he's down in the below. And this time feels a little different. And a lot of the other times when he dies, you have this eminent feeling that he's coming back. Um, but he, he looks very weak and emaciated uh, version of the Hulk. And he they're definitely, he's, him and Banner are trying to work together to, to figure out how they're going to get out of this predicament. It transitions from there, and there's a lot of really wiggy um, Bennett's creepy art in here, which I absolutely adore and love. Um, it transitions to some scenes in New Mexico, and it to me it drops a little bit of info here with Miss McGee. Now, she is a, a journalist who's been kind of trailing and tracking the Immortal Hulk and all in the events along the way if we've been reading all these issues, and we learn from this that she can actually see ghosts and see astral forms, which is a power of the Hulk or a gamma power. So I would be interested in my co-host to, to flush that out after I get done with the summary. Um, so, and then it transitions to some stuff going on with Walter Lingowski and a partner, and then Walter Sampson. And then it just finishes up with Banner and Hulk kind of continuing to struggle. And out of this struggle is born a version of Hulk characters that have been in the stories for the you know years and years. So Mr. Fix-It combines with a version of the Red Hulk. And that character jumps out of the below and... We're left with a quote at the very end here, which is, um, well, that's where I got the word popcorn. <laughs> it's in this panel. Um, there's he, he pretty much says, okay, your turn is over, my turn, right? Um, so I turn it over to the group just to kind of unpack some of this. Um, what do you think is going on here with Mr. Fix-It and Red Hulk and 
coming out of the below and kind of confronting the UFOs? I know from my interpretation, it was, I mean, and I've seen this in a couple other places, but it was this idea that um, Joe Fixit has been kind of amped up by the uh, cosmic rays that one of the UFOs was blasting him with, and that with that power, he's kind of able to punch through um, the the red door, which is the back side of the green door, which basically enables all gamma-powered people to return to life. And so I guess the revelation is, um, not to get too spoilery, but um, that cosmic powers somehow enable you to pass through um, red and green doors without having to worry about being stuck, which, um, you know, I'm sure will play some importance in the future, but nice. uh, it's, it's definitely some interesting developments. Thank you. That, that, I love that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is, I just think the art in here, I mean, Bennett, Joe Bennett has been doing such a marvelous job with the art in capturing yeah that's right okay just want to make sure I had that this is definitely look like Joe Bennett art but I want to make sure to read it off the outline I just love the art I think it's so creepy and just kind of pulls from a lot of creative places to capture stuff that if it was more straightforwardly shown I think that we wouldn't really love this book as much if the art wasn't so like amazing in capturing these concepts um, there's a, some very unique panels panel 15 uh, page 15 is really interesting stuff um, but what did you guys think of the art uh, we, we've talked about Immortal Hulk before on this podcast and I have a love love with a asterisk relationship with this art. Mm -hmm. It is gorgeous. I do love the art in the Immortal Hulk comics. It it really is great. But I am definitely sometimes in my comics a squeamish little creature when it comes to some of this <laughs> like grotesque uh the leader as the one below all with the the hands that open with the monster things that come out mm. and the the spiritual things that that they're seeing in the real life mm. and just what's happening to poor uh, uh, poor Rick mm. with that yeah with like the elongated neck elongated neck coming out of the back of his shoulder and it's showing the weird x-ray of the mm. skeleton <laughs> mushed I, in there. I know. I, yeah. I get... I'm not... I'm... I swear. I, I'm i like, yeah, I like horror. I like all that stuff. And then I look at it for like longer than a few seconds and I'm like... Oh, God. I, I, I can't. I can't. Yeah. No, I'm... <laughs> it's so funny. I... I I'm I'm kind of like you where I'm so squeamish with horror movies. I just like if I'm not watching them with a group of people where I can kind of talk and hide my my anxiety about it. I just like I can't watch them by myself. 
but I just like love horror comics, and I think it's a like a recent thing too, because even outside of you know the cape stuff, I'm I'm reading a ton of horror comics lately, and I almost wonder if it's if it's just the conditions of this past year, something's wrong with me. But like <laughs> the more demented and sick it is, like the more I enjoy it. Like they did this fantastic four horror one shot recently and there were just there were some absolutely horrifying panels in there that i i could not believe that they put into a book uh and, and got past any censors um so this this definitely worked for me and um that that x-ray page in particular where you can yeah. kind of see the the shapes of each different gamma mutate was just like it, it totally worked for me and i love the one creature in the back where it's like his face is almost made up of forearms yeah <laughs> just so <laughs> wild and so creepy but it, it just works for me um so i don't know maybe i'm just sick and demented but i i, <laughs> I, I absolutely love how horrifying joe bennett can make um the artwork look sometimes yeah I definitely think, yeah, go ahead. Oh, so this kind of reminded me of, like, a Junji Ito book where you got a bunch of, like, holes and stuff. And I have, like, I I don't even know how to pronounce it, but, like, trichophobia, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And just seeing all these little holes in, like, these little starfish creatures, (laughs) it just gets me going. I think the story overall was pretty good. It, you know, I like how it's getting darker and darker as you know, you know, as it's wrapping up because of what it's ending in what issue fifty. Supposedly, yeah. Supposedly. supposedly. Mm-hmm. And she, I'm just seeing it. I'm just like, yeah, I'm getting squeamish here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Aside from my squeamishness with the art. I did enjoy this issue. It was it was a good issue. Um, I felt this one was for what it was. Uh, the, I can best describe it as a sort of an action issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it wasn't huge, huge in plot revelations, other than like the the red green door piece with the cosmic rays. But it was, um, it was Hulk and Fixit struggling against Leader in the Blow Place. It was some exposition on uh, McGee and um, the Rick Jones situation. Then some UFOs waiting for it, and then it's just leading into the the Cosmic Hulk, mm. as it were. So uh, I loved the art found the story was a decent chapter but probably a not a highly vital chapter in the saga but i enjoyed it yeah that's well stated i probably felt very similar to that i i like the idea that the hulk continues to rise from the dead um so i like the fact that joe fix it and the cosmic hulk and that combo that that he 
is going to live to fight another day. Well, it needed to happen because they have five more issues they need to write. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think probably the human element that I enjoyed the most was this this revelation with uh, Miss McGee. I think it just has set that character up. Um, that character is not an old character, correct? That's a brand new character. From um, this run? Yeah, yeah, new, unique to this specific run. Yeah. So I think that's, I think they've kind of set that character up if they wanted to pick that piece up, you know, years down the road. Um, she's had a pretty significant, albeit in the background, um, part of the story all the way along. So I kind of like that. In this issue, to me, that was pretty unique. Um. One of the things that I, I thought was interesting with the Immortal Hulk and seeing it with also with the current era of X-Men is I feel like Marvel is taking a stance on kind of saying it right to the camera. Mm. Uh, what everyone has been joking about for years that superheroes can't die. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, and now it's just straight up telling stories mm. about superheroes not dying yeah. or yeah, dying but not you know staying dead yeah and kind of wondering like you know what types of stories can we tell where the death of the hero isn't the stake and I still think there's mm. they're doing it well both in X-Men and Hulk where We've watched Hulk die how many times? And, like, we've seen, especially with this version, like, I, I, when I was uh, rereading some of the Immortal Hulk, I remember the fight, I, I reread the fight with, with Thing. Oh, I love that Hulk. issue. And I love the way Joe was, Bennett draws the Thing. God, I wish he could do a series with the Thing. Right? And it was such a striking fight and but it also just really messed with you know like when joe is sitting there in the in the diner trying to explain to the thing sort of the ramifications of well we're going to the below place but we come back but the this hulk's gone and banner's kind of this but we've got a system but it's not really working yeah. and <laughs> but like it's such it is just telling it like this is comic books this is what you get but it still works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And and I, I like that. I, I I like them trying to tell stories on the face of it mm -hmm. where there's been enough years of resurrections, life model decoys, clones, <laughs> zombies, yeah. mm -hmm. and everything else that we're now just at the point where, like, yeah, he'll be yeah, back. Yeah, you can just embrace it. <laughs> yeah. I like the... Oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, you're good. You go. Oh, I was just going to say, I like the other thing that I would add to it is I think Brandon alluded to it earlier, but it's also not overly serious, right? Like, we're, nobody's worried about the power set of the Hulk right here. He's dying, coming back, and he, I think he's probably died 20 different ways in this series. <laughs> and I think that takes away all the... Um, you know, why so serious aspect of some of this, which yeah. I think is important because it's 
It's just fun. I mean, it's just fun stuff. Yeah. I mean, this issue, or I guess the series, definitely has its moments that feel, you know, a little bit more serious or emotional, but it's not, you know, it's not trying to be almost ridiculous with it. Or it's yeah. just, like, so depressing all the time. Yeah. I think you guys kind of hit that on the nail with, you know, it is not overly serious, and it did take on the that trope of, you know, superheroes don't die. They come back, and we've seen this in every, you know, MCU and DCU, um, DCEU movie, uh, where, you know, they, they, they always come back, and, you know, seeing, you know, Bruce kind of, like, half, you know, mangled with, you know, his lower half of his body and his arms kind of like yeah. branching onto tubes and his tubes in his eyes and you you're really seeing him str- like you you're looking at it and you want to think that he's like struggling in pain but he, he's almost like not mm-hmm. like I think he's even taking light of the situation and you know he, he you know he's gonna come back because it's the Hulk you know he where's he gonna go yeah um and you know and I think Another, you know, like how we talked about Venom, I think the art is one of the big points. You know, I also get kind of John Carpenter vibes with this, um, which I think really plays on well to like the ho- like the horror undertones, um, kind of like what what you know Bruce is kind of going through throughout this entire mm-hmm. um, run. You know, with him, you know, kind of, you know, he doesn't get beat very often, but you know, this is. Probably the one of the few times where he's really just getting it, you know, taken to him, and you know all the struggles that he's going with throughout the the last few issues. Um, I I think it played really well, and I think it was a pretty. I think it was it wasn't a very strong issue, but I think it for what it was. Yeah, it just it, it progresses this this narrative in a way that's that's very consistent and. You know, very, very, very good. So, I honestly, I can't really complain about that. Pretty much every Immortal Hulk issue, you know, for the past couple issues has felt like that, where it's just, it's it's staying on the right path, and it hasn't, you know, dipped in quality. So, I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I just really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And with, uh, with, with what Isaiah said, sort of talking about, Bruce Banner, the Hulk, and all of their relationship with pain that we're that we're kind of seeing in in the Immortal Hulk has always been interesting. Because mm-hmm. one of the the pieces that they they've glossed over with the Hulk many times, because you know he's so big and so mighty, is that the reason he keeps getting angrier is because he actually does feel pain. It doesn't destroy his body, but he doesn't enjoy being shot at it hurts and explosions hurt and things falling on him hurts and he he's always felt pain so and immortal hulk has really explored their relationship with pain i'm going right back to the thing issue because i remember like a striking piece when hulk changes back to to joe in a last minute to avoid getting hit by the thing yeah yeah and the thing breaks Joe's arms and part of his ribs. And it's just like, oh, God, I'm sorry. And Joe gets up and he's like, nah, it's fine. Yeah. 
and and literally just like says like come on Hulk you big baby and Hulk takes over for one second just to heal his bones <laughs> and then leaves again and it's really just such a like wow you guys really have a messed up tolerance <laughs> That's perfect. And and like you said, seeing him, he's all he's being tortured, he's being beaten, he's being irradiated, he's being nuked. Yeah. All of those things, he's felt them. So at what point do we just realize that Banner's sitting there like, it all hurts, it all sucks, but it I'm still here. Mm. <laughs> like and especially when you think about pain as a response to like we feel pain so we stop doing something mm-hmm. right that is going to harm us you 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 first your nerves tell you to take your hand off the hot thing before it does massive damage to you mm-hmm. when you know it can't do massive damage to you your pain message definitely should would change you still feel the unpleasantness but if you know you're never going to die because of it, I think you'd have a very strange relationship with right. it. Yeah. You almost kind of like egg it on and you're more willing to risk, you know, your bodily harm more more often. Because, yeah, like you said, like he can't really die. And he's tried killing himself mm. ample amount of times because he's so sick of this. Hmm. I think the mm. the art kind of captures that everything that you're saying by the grotesque nature, just the rendition of the characters are so grotesque. Like yeah. even the final page, that is not a healthy looking face on this cosmic hog. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's a face that's been through some stuff. Some stuff. <laughs> right. Well, and that's always like. Because Cosmic Hulk is Joe Fixit, and Joe Fixit has always been sort of representative of Banner's acting on what he wants to do, but has never let himself do. And Fixit, as the Cosmic Hulk, someone who is, I, I am assuming, now ready to beat on the UFOs mercilessly... I'm pretty sure that's exactly what all of Banner wants to do. Because mm-hmm. those guys were enjoying hurting him. Mm-hmm. And so putting Fix It behind the wheel, yeah, this is going to be an ugly fight. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> this is not a good guy fight. <laughs> but that said, let's uh, let's rate uh, the Immortal Hulk. Let's uh, Let's... Let's start with uh, Isaiah. Um, I'd like to give it probably... Nah, I'd give it a, a solid 8 for what it was. Um, but it wasn't nothing, you know, remarkable. But it kind of just kind of gave you a deeper... Like, for me, it just gave kind of a deeper dive uh, into Bruce and kind of that relationship with Pain he has. Uh, and then I like the art. I'm kind of a, a masochist, so I kind of dug all the creepy shit even though it kind of made me feel some type of way at the end of the day (laughs) awesome and Tom so for me I do have to give a caveat that I the character that I love most in all of comics is the Hulk 
Wow. And so it's hard to um, separate. Sometimes if I say, what's my rating scale for it? I don't, I don't, I have a very unreliable <laughs> rating scale when it comes to the Hulk stuff. So I think that's something that I should say. Is there a massive payoff in this for me? Absolutely. Like the last panel with him charging towards the UFOs with clenched fist. I mean, that's enough for me to give this way too high a rating than I should, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, if I'm trying to be reasonable, I would say that this is probably in that eight, eight and a half range. Um, but I'm not very reasonable when it comes to the Hulk. So that's probably the best you're going to get out of me. <laughs> awesome. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with... Uh, Admitting, like we're we're comic book fans, and there's yeah. a good chunk of this market that played on us when we were kids, played on us when we liked toys and fan service, yeah. and there's always going to be part of us that something has our phone number, yeah, and it's just going to call us directly and say, "Look, this is kitschy and weird, but you like this. Yeah. This is for you." This is how much I love and I, the, this is how much I love the Hulk. I have every single issue of Amadeus Cho Hulk in my garage. <laughs> I mean, I love the Amadeus Cho Hulk. I, I I'm a huge Amadeus Cho fan. Yeah. We uh we can definitely talk about that someday. That'd be good. But let's uh let's yeah. let's give Brandon a chance to tell oh, us. Oh yeah, no no, I, I, I feel the same way except for me, it's it's even though we're on the Marvel podcast. For me, it's definitely Nightwing, where it's like anything that he's in, or any solo issues that he's a part of. I'm almost certainly gonna read it, and I've just got this huge collection of all the different runs, you know, going back to the '90s. But uh, anyway, getting back to Immortal Hulk, um, you know, I I definitely really dug this issue. Um, it continues to impress me with the creativeness of the kind of cosmic story as well as the horror and kind of combining those two things which sometimes I don't really associate those with um, with each other but it, it does a really great job of that so I ended up giving this issue an 8.5 awesome for this one I for Immortal Hulk I always find that this is one of those runs and I uh I am always hesitant to say things like this. This is one of those runs that when it is absolutely amazing, it definitely gets close to that 10. Yeah. When you have the those great issues in this run, it gets really close to that 10, which is I I I never give anything. So, when I look at this issue as like I said, not a particularly vital chapter in the story, but still good. Obviously, not every issue can be all up, all hype, all revelation, all mind-blowing, whatever. Uh, especially in a 50-issue run. Holy smokes. Yeah. So, when I look at that, at this one, there isn't anything, aside from the fact that this was just not a massive game-changer of an issue, I don't think there was anything that this part of the story needed to do better so I gave it an 8.5, which, because it, like, it was really pleasant. It just wasn't, you know, it, it, it's the buildup. It's staying the course from the past few issues because they're going to give us something in the next five issues that's 
that's going to be the payoff. Yeah, so exactly. Nice. All right. Moving on from the Immortal Hulk, we now have the Avengers number forty-four by writer Jason Aaron, artist Javier Garon, uh, with coloring by David Curiel, and lettering by Corey Pettit. This is the conclusion of the fight for the Phoenix Force, or the I believe the Enter the Phoenix storyline. And this one starts exactly where the last one left off, with Phoenix Cap and Phoenix T'Challa being ready to fight uh, in sort of the Phoenix Force tournament that they've all been taking part in to, to earn the respect of the Phoenix Force. And they fight, and there's some dialogue between Cap and T'Challa where Cap obviously thinks that the Phoenix Force is the same Phoenix Force that they've been dealing with in the Marvel Universe for years, where it shows up every so often and causes mayhem. Where it's not an ally, but T'Challa reveals that he believes it is an ally from way back at the start of this run, when he, he saw that the Phoenix was an ally of the the ancient Avengers. And through there, he, he wants to earn... He wants to wield the Phoenix because he believes that him as leader of the Avengers, as the leader of the strongest Avengers team they've had in a long time, that he is the one who could unite the Phoenix into the Avengers and wield that force and we cut away from him to some more of the fights happening in the Phoenix tournament we get um, uh, the the fight between Red Widow and uh, what's her name the She-Devil uh, Shauna I think Shauna the She-Devil yeah that's it uh, we get them fighting and we get uh, the fight between She-Hulk and Namor beating the crud out of each other. And you get a lot of these cutaway panels of just the gorgeous Phoenix Force designs, which really was what this entire event was about, was what if we drew a handful of our heroes in cool red and gold flaming outfits? <laughs> um, that's what we're here for. Uh, from there, we get a brief aside with Captain Marvel and Iron Man, who are not chosen of the Phoenix Force, um, trying to absorb energy from the Phoenix. We get a bit more details on, or a bit more coverage on Thor's acknowledgement that the Phoenix is now his mother, or is his mother. Um which is apparently, and I, I was doing some reading on this earlier today, is apparently a callback to pieces of Avengers that uh, Aaron has written over the past few years between both Thor and the Avengers that Gaia and the Phoenix might have been... Gaia might have been wielding the Phoenix when she was with Odin on Earth back in like 10,000 BC or whatever it was. 
so the Thor, the Phoenix's mother is actually apparently a callback going back a few years now to something Aaron has sort of been penciling into his schedule for a while. And during the, the climax of all these fights, rather than seeing any one winner or anything like that, we it now cuts away to a, a an, an internal monologue of someone who had died and is now, as someone who wields the phoenix should, is now rising. And we see this, it's very mysterious, we see this force rise up and it takes back the phoenix force from Cap and T'Challa and Namor and She-Hulk and it, it's absorbing them and they're all losing the power and we're seeing each of them sort of react to losing it. Namor obviously taking it the worst because he is, well, Namor. And we then discover who the new host of the Phoenix Force is. And it is uh, Echo, or Maya Lopez, I believe is her alter ego. Or her her real name. Um, and she is now the host of the Phoenix Force, which also, they reveal to us, is also the, the Thunderbird. Um, and, and she's now wielding its power, and from that reveal, we see a few panels of people sort of recovering and piecing things back together from the, the doom that was the Phoenix Force event happening all over the world, and we see Jean, uh, reaching out telepathically to Maya to make sure she isn't alone, that she doesn't just let the Phoenix drive her away from people. And with that, we get the end of the Phoenix event, which was a decent enough event, and... There is one thing that I have in my notes here that I I was just... I couldn't believe it when I read it. I had just finished reading Venom 34 and King and Black 5, and I went into this issue, and I got to the very end of this issue, and on the last page it says, Next issue, Avengers 45, King and Black tie-in. No. Oh. Mm. oh, my goodness. But the series <laughs> is over. Why are they still doing tie-in? So weird. <laughs> I'm wondering if it's because of the the COVID bump back oh, that happened last summer, yeah. if if that affected Avengers harder than it did the King and Black timeline, that they might have started the Phoenix with hope that it would end sooner. Maybe I'm not a hundred percent sure, but um, or maybe it is designed to come after the King and Black event, but it's a like. Like how Empire Aftermath was. But, so maybe it does take place in the denouement uh, of that event. What were your guys' thoughts on Avengers 44? I, I didn't really care for it. I've never really, I've never really cared for the run in itself. Uh, it's been, I mean, it was okay. But, you know, 
every good anime has to have a tournament arc, and this is just a comic book that really didn't really need a tournament arc, in my opinion. Um, it was okay. I'd, I'd give it, a, I'd give it a solid pass if that's something you want to read. But uh, I think overall, I'd probably put it at like a six. Yeah, it wasn't particularly memorable in any way, uh, which kind of feels like this whole arc. I had fun moments, um, and, you know, I'd be a hypocrite if I said this embracing its silliness doesn't work while King and Blacks does, but I think this <laughs> one just suffers from the fact that it's it's just not as interesting. Like, once you get past the gimmick of it's all the Avengers, but they have Phoenix powers, and, you know, they're fighting each other over it. It just kind of loses its its luster very quickly, so. Um, yeah, and I, I, I wasn't particularly interested in, you know, any of the revelations outside of, you know, it's kind of interesting to see Echo be the new wielder of the Phoenix Force, but outside of that, um... Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have too much interest in this, so I ended up giving it a five point five out of ten. I think we're all right. Mm-hmm. And Tom, yeah, I would. So the thing about it is, I agree with everybody's sentiment with regard to a tournament. I think the word trope was dropped in an earlier portion of one of the books. This that's kind of a trope that I don't like, and I think. There's a lot of tropes that happen in these books, and it just depends on how well it's done and if we like it and if there's something unique or something heartsy in the center of it that makes it different for whatever reason. This doesn't have that, um, but it does. It really leans into the trope really hard in, in a real, in some not creative ways, but in interesting kind of ways. So, but it's still a trope. <laughs> it's still, at the end of the day, doesn't have anything heartsy, anything overly creative in the middle of it. Um, they're basically all battling to get the, the Phoenix Force. So, yeah. I I agree with every everybody's sentiment on it. I don't, I'm horrible with number scales. I said that earlier. I wouldn't crap on this because probably the thing that goes against this book is ironic is I don't think it has quite the playful, cheesy, over-the-top element to it that the uh, KIB uh, number five that we we looked at earlier has. Um, So I think Mm. in some ways it works against this because it tries to be a little bit too serious. (laughs) And maybe if it was a little bit more like letting go of some of the reins, maybe we would enjoy it a little bit more. Um, perhaps. I don't know what's doing what to what here, but I didn't enjoy this as much as I did the King of Black issue. So I probably I won't crap on it. I usually don't. If anything is not crap worthy, I'll usually give it at least a seven. <laughs> um, but it, so I'll probably land on a seven. Awesome, yeah. At, for this issue, I I had been reading up on the the Phoenix arc as it had been going on, and one of the things that leaped out at me this was back in uh, Enter the Phoenix issue three, I think was the newest mm-hmm. one. 
and people were saying things like, oh, it's obvious that Shauna, uh, the She-Devil, is going to win because there's no way Marvel Comics wants these weird Phoenix designs to be the permanent look for any of their big characters. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and Shauna's Phoenix look was good. It was pretty like in line with her regular look. But there was just sort of this regu- like acceptance from the fans already that, you know, Cap's not going to look like this forever. T'Challa's not going to look like this forever. Um, it's going to be one of these characters. And I, I definitely saw that coming, and I thought it was going to go that route for a while. And this issue really la- fell flat even harder by not even going that far and just sort of invalidating the entire arc mm. with, you know, making the tournament not matter in the end. Mm. It, it wasn't, it didn't come down to a final two, an epic showdown, an I'm more worthy or any of that. It really came down to there are three ongoing fights that are still happening right now. And someone else, we're just going to pick up, they get the powers, and scene. And it just felt weird. Like, why why did we have six issues of Phoenix variants beating each other up? Obviously, I know why, because it's comic books and it's a tournament arc, like you said. But it really felt like they started this arc with, well, we're going to have superheroes beating each other up. And we're going to end it with, I don't know, someone else. (laughs) Like, it just, when you don't even let the, the end of the tournament arc matter, it really drives home that it was just a an empty six issues. So I gave it a six out of 10. It didn't, it visually it's nice. The designs are cool. And honestly, from the point where it announces that echo is Phoenix and she is flying around and she's looking great and all of that. I'm interested in this issue or in the future of this Mm -hmm. issue. I'm interested in the new Phoenix and I'm interested in post King and Black Avengers what they're going to be dealing with because I don't have anything against Jason Aaron I I liked his run on the Mighty Thor so I hope uh, I hope this I hope this goes somewhere after this I hope this was just a filler arc that maybe once again was to sell Legends figures, Pop figures Posters, yeah. toys, whatever they, whatever merch, because honestly, the some of these variants are cool enough that I I might buy a a Phoenix Cap Legends figure or something like that. They're it's kind of neat. All right, moving on to Marauders issue number nineteen, brought to us by writer Jerry Duggan, artist Stefano Caselli, color by Edgar Delgado, and lettering by Corey Pettit. Uh, and I'm going to hand it over to Brandon for the summary on the Marauders. All right. Uh, so this issue picks up from the last one where the Reavers had entered Madripoor, specifically in Lowtown, basically to cause havoc. And they're acting on behalf of the Hominis Verendi, who are basically taking 
uh, action against Krakoa because, you know, the Marauders have been really aggressive with buying a lot of property in Madripoor as a way to kind of screw over the Hominis route. Uh, the Hominis Berendi, who had kind of taken control of the Madripoorian government. Um, and I find it interesting that we're returning to Madripoor, even though it had played a, a pretty, you know, big part in Marauders from the beginning, but it's, it's funny that we're in Madripoor as, uh, at the same time that uh, uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier are also in Madripoor in the TV show. Just thought that was a, an interesting little connection, but... Anyway, um, so on the Marauder, uh, Kitty Pride, Iceman, and Pyro, uh, as well as Callisto, are kind of talking about a way to get uh, onto Madripoor to kind of stop the Reavers, um, given that the UN has basically blocked them after the events of the previous issue, um, where they were kind of caught on camera, you know, being violent and you know, being reckless. So Callisto basically just says, you know, we don't want to cause an international incident. There's an easier way of doing this. Um, so she hands Kitty Pride one of the Krakoan seeds, and uh, Kitty basically devises a plan to sneak into Madripoor via the bay while uh, uh, Iceman and Pyro, who are calling themselves the two, uh, their own version of the five um, are going to cause a distraction to the uh, naval blockade that's basically standing in front of uh, the Marauders and um, and Madripoor. So Kitty Pride is able to sneak into Low Town uh, via the sewers, um, but unfortunately, it kind of gives her a disease, and she's you know kind of puking and. Uh, while she's able to plant the Krakoan flower, it's it's clear that it's it's having an effect, and the Reavers are still kind of laying havoc to Lowtown, um, and you know Kitty's kind of afraid that their next target is going to be um, specifically the new hospital that they had put in Madripoor. Um, but before Callisto goes back to uh, Madripoor, she goes uh, to the uh, Arizona retreat where the rest of the old Morlocks, or I think the, the rest of the old Morlocks and the Marauders have kind of been um, staying at uh, in this new Krakoan age. And she basically brings them back to Badgerpore, um and, and allows them to deal with the Reavers knowing that if anyone sees them, they're not going to think that they're mutants. They're just going to think that they're weird sewer monsters who are fighting with the, the Reavers, and they'll kind of have no questions asked about that. But Kitty is able to return to the Marauder um, and kind of settle that whole thing. Um, and that's, you know, when she catches up with Pyro and Iceman and is basically saying, you know, the plan worked, but, you know, where's Bishop? Um, who is acting as, as Kitty Pride's kind of second-in-command. That's where we find out that Bishop had broken into the base of the uh, Hominis Ferendi and basically is trying to shut down their entire operation of making Reavers out of people who were damaged by the X-Men and uh, basically blows up their base. Um, and 
that's kind of where we uh, resolve the issue. There's a, a brief scene at the end where the Morlocks are catching up um, with some of the Lowtown residents um, in the bar that the Marauders have recently purchased and just kind of catching them up to speed on, you know, how Lowtown is now kind of a, a, a place that's protected by mutants now. But um, really the, the big reveal of the issue is that um, Bishop was able to take out a major center for the Hominus Verendi. Um, so all in all, for me, this issue was pretty solid. It was a, a decent wrap-up to this, um, you know, Marauders versus Hominus Verendi arc. Um, I found it to be kind of formulaic in some places. I, I think it, it really picked up for me when the Morlocks were able to show up in Madripoor and kind of assert control, but, um, you know, it wasn't anything grand or spectacular. It was just kind of a, a, a decent conclusion, um, and I think for me, one of the standout points of this issue is definitely the artwork by Stefano Caselli, because um, there's some really gorgeous panels of just kind of standard action, but they're done really well. Um, and even the whole sequence with Bishop breaking into the Tower of the Hominus Verendi was uh, just really well done. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed this issue as a conclusion, um, even if it wasn't, you know, the most grand or epic conclusion and it was a, a solid enough job so I ended up giving this one a, a 7.75 out of 10 but um, what did the rest of you guys think? Well I want to highlight something I enjoyed on page 17 in the art you see a character getting sawed completely in half in a shadow <laughs> <laughs> I always think that's interesting stuff. As you can tell, I get a little hammy with some of the stuff. Mm -hmm. And then later down in the panel, they show this poise. Maybe you could flush this out a little bit. There's a character that has like a head come out of her mouth, and it bites the back of the neck and poisons the character, mm -hmm. it looks like. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the, uh, one of the Morlocks. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I thought this is like, this tells a full fleshed out story. There's a lot more going on in this issue than the other books that we've been looking at. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of my comments, um, which is probably my comment on stuff connected to Krakoa in general. Uh, they tend to have more of a fleshed out story. It's not just, you know, bang, bang, boom, boom stuff. Yeah. So... I definitely think it's interesting. You know, it's creative. I don't think it's... But I don't think it's anything, like, innovating. Like, I don't think I'm going to, you know, go home and talk to my girlfriend about it who knows nothing about really, like, you know, <laughs> comics or anything. Yeah, exactly. We're not going to... I'm not going to go, you know, like, if I were like, oh, man, I really love One Piece and I'm going to go tell her about things that she doesn't know or really, honestly, probably care about. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean... I think for like if you were you wanted something really casual, you weren't looking for anything like too you know insane. I think this would be not bad. Um, but I think for people who've 
been reading comics for a while, or even like the higher end amateur, um, it's just okay. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I really share the same sentiment as um, Brandon. It's just, yeah, it's okay. Isn't there's nothing good? I'd I'd give it probably about another six or seven, similar to that of Avengers. Uh, nothing too. Nothing too revolutionary. All right. Yeah, I I had fun with this issue. The Marauders, I'm a big fan of. I'm I'm enjoying what they're bringing so far to the uh, to the the Dawn of X era. I I really like Kate Pride as a character, and but I will say some of my favorite parts of the Marauders have been. Kate's interactions both with the Marauders and with Emma Frost and even uh, with Sebastian Um, and so this was sort of a going out on a mission uh, type comic so it was missing some of that politics and that cool vibe that you know, when when Kate is being the Red Queen next to the White Queen, there's a vibe that I get from those comics that is just stupendous. Yeah. And this one didn't really have that sense of style until... And different sense of style, but until the Morlocks became the center and they became the action piece. And it really brought back, you know, what was it, when... House and Powers of X was happening when they kept saying, like, old enemies will be new allies in, like, a real crazy way. Yeah. And and we're all like, ah, what does yeah. that mean? And then they're like, well, Apocalypse is hanging out on the, on the council, and Mr. Sinister has his own team, and all of this stuff. And now we're just getting Kate teaming up with Callisto and the yeah. Morlocks, and it's just it's like... Just- um, yeah, particularly crazy because if you know if you're versed in your X-Men history, you'll know that um, you know it was, I believe, the Marauders that first kind of almost killed uh, Kitty Pride during Mutant Massacre, um, and now it's mm-hmm. kind of funny to see them fighting alongside you know the the Marauders and the the old Marauders and the old Morlocks and and basically um, yeah basically fighting side by side with someone who nearly killed you so yeah I definitely agree Mm mhm yeah so I gave this issue a 7 maybe 7.5 on a good day just for you know getting Mask and Callisto back out there like they don't they don't really like literally for a while in the Marauders they they had literally put mask in like a golf resort country yeah. club seniors home thing and it's like I, he can totally do more than this he's not that old <laughs> or useless so mm-hmm. so you know bringing him back out you know, hitting the ignition and giving him a, a drive around the block, I felt was was pretty good. So maybe seven point five, mm. but I, I I ended up floating around a seven. 
So that concludes our segments on full reviews. So now we're going to go into our lightning reviews. These ones we're going to go into quite a bit less detail on. Uh, we're going to get just a you know a quick summary uh, out there, and then you know a couple of us might drop some number scores on them. Uh, but if you want more in-depth uh, information on any of these issues, you might have to pick them up on your own. But let's see what we can do for recommendations, starting with America Chavez number two. America Chavez number two brought to us by Kalinda Vasquez on writing, artist Carlos Gomez, colored by Jesus Abertov and lettering by Travis Lanham. Continues exactly where the last one left off, with America investigating a mysterious person who seems to be threatening her family. It then cuts in some flashbacks of America adopted by her family in uh, Washington Heights and then remembering her family from the utopian parallel and remembering who they are and sort of dealing with that and her family becomes concerned that she's got these delusions until she starts exhibiting superpowers and then she starts being a superhero this near the end uh, of the issue or late in the issue starts um, coming to a head that we see in some flashbacks and to this day there is tension between her adopted family and her because she believes you know her 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 mothers did superhero work they used their powers for good and that is what she has to do but it is endangering her family and it is causing her to grow apart from her adopted family we we see a very trademark you're not my real mom type of scene and it does end with America following a clue and and meeting up with the same mysterious hooded figure that we saw at the end of the last issue. Uh, I enjoyed this issue as a stepping stone, but I don't feel like, aside from the details we got on America's flashbacks, I don't feel like the plot moved any more forward from where we last left America in mysterious figures staring at her from far away. Um, I am hoping they do something with her. I've been a big fan of America Chavez for, for many years. Uh, when she's uh, when she's done well, like she was in the Ultimates, I get I, I really enjoy her oh, character. Yeah. So, um, so I hope we we get some more of that. I hope there's a conclusion of this that ends with some fun realization or some epic fight against something that isn't just mysterious forces and thugs. This issue and. In terms of other than flashbacks like beating up thugs and bullies there wasn't really any superheroing that happened in this issue not that that needs to happen in every single superhero comic but it was missed so I gave this one a 6.5 out of 10 uh, does anyone else have anything they want to add to America or <coughs> drop their scores before we move on I'd give it a probably another like five or six. I you know I wasn't really impressed with uh, America Chavez uh, number one. Uh, I think she's a cool hero, uh, but like you said, it didn't add anything to the plot and kind of just kind of left you hanging a bit. And you know, more to be desired. So yeah, six. All right, 
And moving on to Amazing Spider-Man 63, brought to us by Nick Spencer, artist Federico Vicentini, color by Alex Sinclair, and lettering by Joe Caramagna. So I'll pass it over to Brandon for the lightning review on this. Yeah, no, this is uh, this will be pretty quick. Um, so basically, this uh, just kind of follows off the reveal from the last issue that, um, you know, Randy Robertson and um, Janice Lincoln, uh, Randy being the daughter of Robbie Robertson, who is the current uh, editor-in-chief of the Daily Bugle, and Randy Randy Lincoln, and Janice Lincoln, who is the daughter of uh, the criminal uh, mastermind, I guess just criminal, I don't know, boss or whatever uh tombstone uh basically the reveal that those two have kind of hooked up and their parents are absolutely flipping out over it and so randy has a conversation with his dad who's basically just like you know you can't trust them and i i, I don't support this decision and everything and it's it's, it's going to end badly because you know she's going to end up behind bars and, and all that stuff and uh, Janice's conversation with her father, Tombstone, is a little bit more violent, um, but, you know, she ends up leaving. Um, and mixed in with that is continuing the story of um, Spider-Man and Boomerang's pursuit of the Lifeline tablet, um, which, you know, they, they're basically trying to get it before Kingpin does, and Kingpin's looking to get it for reasons that we still don't fully understand, but clearly there's some importance. Um, and then basically just kind of continues the uh, both stories running concurrently where Pete and uh, Boomerang return to their apartment uh, right around the time that, um, you know, Randy and Janice are also at the apartment talking about their relationship. And um, that's right around the time that a bunch of people show up to try and basically uh, kidnap, um, I guess, Boomerang because he's been living here and there's been a hit placed on him basically because he's been stealing the Lifeline tablets before Kingpin gets them. So it's just kind of pushing that forward. Um, And I guess this is kind of the start of the end of that whole Kingpin arc, so hopefully we'll finally get some resolution to it, but um, I thought it was fun. I I had kind of dropped off from the Nick Spencer Spider-Man after um, Last Remains, and and it felt like it was a disappointment. Um, But, you know, um, I I felt like this issue was was fun enough, and and I I had a decent enough time with it, Um, so I ended up giving this one a 7.5. What did other awesome. people think? This was the one issue this week that I actually didn't manage mm. to get around to reading, but uh, Isaiah, Tom, do either of you have any thoughts you want to add on this one? No, I didn't actually think I read this one either. Yeah, I did a flyby on it, and so I will say that it, it tended to do the thing that I tend to not like with Nick Spencer. Yeah. It just got into so many different kind of fractured areas that it I my brain just kind of shut down and I really didn't want to track all of it and um, 
As you can tell, I have kind of a bias towards the straightforward, cheesy <laughs> event. <laughs> In some ways, I think if you do get into the weeds, it needs to be really well constructed and there needs to be, you need to tr be able to track these different slivers and find interesting spots when you're tracking it. And I think it just kind of doesn't do that a lot for me. So um, I, don't, I don't know that I would go full out and come up with a too strong of a, a rating on it um, just because I, it was more of a flyby. But I did find myself shutting down as I was reading this. Yeah. All right. Moving on to Avengers Max Strike number three. Yeah. Brought to us by writer Jed McKay, artist Carlos Magno, color by Guru Effects, and lettering by Corey Pettit. All right, lightning review on this one. You go to the comic shop, you see it on the shelf, you pick any other comic released in the past 30 days, you have a better time. Uh, yeah. No, sorry. <laughs> the uh, This issue picks up. Kang has opened the portals of time and he's using it to beat up the Mech Avengers. They are fighting varieties of aliens and warriors from all throughout time and space. Uh, they're getting overrun. There's a couple panels of giant robots fighting. The art is not epic and it does not properly capture how cool it could be to just have giant robots fighting. I feel like a lot of the mechs strike Avengers just misses what is cool about big robots and just put them in to draw them and potentially sell toys, but there hasn't been any announcement that these are actually going to be toys, so I don't even know where this is coming from. At the end of it, uh, you know, the Avengers are starting to lose and they need help against Kang. Well, they get support in terms of a far-off space person who has come to be their ally, Thanos. And the comic continues the Avengers Mech Strike theme of kind of existing outside of any Marvel continuity. This isn't the current Avengers lineup. They kind of don't really know who Thanos is, but they kind of do. Like, they, they say that they're familiar with him, but they definitely don't have the relationship with him that he has murdered many thousands of people. They're kind of yeah. just, oh, hey, it's Thanos. You're here, I guess. And he's here to whoop Kang's butt because Kang is intruding on his universe, and this is his universe to rule, and then next issue's cover has a Thanos mech on the cover with an infinity gauntlet and it's all gimmicky and no substance and I gave it a 2 out of 10. Mm. I don't know that anyone else here read it and I don't think they Yeah, I, I did not read it after we did the first or second issue of Mech Strike and <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I did. <laughs> I, I had no incentive to return to this comic. Well, dear viewers, I promise you that because there are only two issues of this left, I promise to hate read every one of them oh, for you. You're so a stronger <laughs> man than the rest of us, Curry. Yeah. If this was a 12-issue series, you'd be out of luck. But <laughs> no. I can promise to. Oh, my God. If they could get 12 issues out of Avengers Mech Strike, I, that would just be amazing. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't want to be there for it. All right, 
Moving on from that, we have Runaways number 35, brought to us by writer Rainbow Rowell, artist Andre Genelet, colored by D. Knife, and lettering by Joe Caramagna. And Brandon, I'll pass it to you for the lightning review on this one. Yeah, this is uh, it was a pretty quick issue, so uh, basically this kind of um, wraps up the runaway wraps up the Runaways plus uh, you know Pixie and Wolverine team up where they're finally able to I guess kind of kind of deal with the uh, the apparitions they've been fighting in the last issue and escape from that and then actually find the mutant that they were trying to to locate um, and so um, they're able to do that but the uh, the mutant in question is kind of unsure um, because, you know, she reveals that she wasn't the one who actually sent the message, um, you know, to asking her to come to Krakoa. It was actually her mother because her mother saw the pain that she was going through using her powers and she wanted her to feel, you know, that she would be comfortable somewhere where she she could actually learn. So a lot of time is spent with them kind of going back and forth on, you know, she's worried, she doesn't want to leave her mother, but, you know, her mother basically reassures her that she'll be fine, and um, eventually she makes the decision to leave, um, and that's where we go back to, um, you know, the rest of the Runaways catching up with the X-Men, and Chase has a little bit of a back and forth with Wolverine, where, you know, he's expecting Wolverine to make a case for Molly to leave, uh, to go to Krakoa, but Wolverine's basically like, you guys have her, she's in good hands. Um, and so that's where we close that out. Meanwhile, with Carolina and uh, Nico, um, the kind of big reveal for this issue after they've been able to catch up, because um, Carolina's still been feeling sick after the events of the last arc. Um, but basically, Nico reveals that she had made a deal with the... Uh, evil wizard and her staff um and every time that she uses a spell um a little bit of his soul trips into hers and sometimes she can't feel it and carolina is obviously very upset about that um and so they kind of go back and forth on that um and are you know disagree because Nico obviously feels like she needs her magic while Carolina doesn't want her to get hurt. Um, and then kind of the big dramatic reveal at the end of the issue, it's been teased that, you know, Chase is sneaking off into the night because he has some kind of new girlfriend, but we don't know who it is. And in this issue, big surprise, it's Gert. I, I guess they've been doing it in secret because they're afraid of the public judgment, given that, you know... Um, uh, Chase is so much older, but it's hard to say. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I I think these last few issues of Runaways have definitely been picking up um, because I know the the previous arc that had been going on was just I was definitely losing interest and it was hard. And I honestly thought the book was going to get canceled after it was done just because it took so long for it to be solicited. But it, it came back and. It's it's still going, so I, I give it props for that. But um, I, I definitely have been enjoying the last few issues of this series, um, and uh, I, I hope they kind of 
I know it's the end of the crossover with the you know mutants, but I, I kind of hope that they have more crossovers in the future just to kind of connect them a little bit. Um, so I ended up giving this one an eight out of ten, and I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, I thought this issue was pleasant enough. Um, I didn't feel like it was pretty impactful. I thought the reveal of Gert was not what I was expecting, but I guess that is going to be probably between her and Nico's plan to deal with uh, her issue. I think those are probably the next two pieces that this arc is going to deal with after the X Men leave. Um, so I, I gave it a I gave it a seven out of ten. Uh, anything else anyone wants to add to Runaways before we move on? Nope. I think we're good. All right. Last lightning review on our list, we've got Excalibur number 20, brought to us by writer Teeny Howard, art by Marcus Toe, coloring by Eric Arseniega, and lettering by Ariana Marr. And Isaiah, I'm going to hand it over to you for the lightning review on this one. All right. So uh, issue number 20 kind of starts off with some background on Malice. Uh, you kind of get you get her human end, you know, b- b- before her her mutant abilities kind of um, you know awoken, and you get this really depressing scene, which is you know playing off you know with Malice being uh, one about possession, uh, her you know kind of being this edge lord who has, you know, issues with authority, kind of like that rebel. And uh, it plays in with, you know, her thoughts of, oh, my mother is, you know, terrible. She doesn't love me. But in reality, her mother does love her. And she ends up trying to uh, unaliving herself, for lack of a a better phrase. Um, But in that moment, her mutant powers activated and she became malice as she is now and kind of like a a spectral force or one of you know kind of of energy and then it kind of pans back to what the current things are going on with the um the Kokoa mutant uh what's the better word the council uh you know they're taking a vote and to have the you know Excalibur team guard the gate to the other world uh, with, you know, some unagreeing uh, and, you know, some antagonism with uh, Emma Frost uh, as she attacks Captain Britain. This causes a huge thing because uh, they find out that uh, Malice has actually taken over uh, Emma Frost. And from there, the um, Psylocke and Captain Britain, you know, they trap Malice in uh, one of Psylocke's daggers and they attempt to kind of contact her and they do have a heart-to-heart moment with her um, trying to let her know that, you know, where you were before is no longer where you would be now because you'd be in Kokoa, you know, you'd be accepted. You'll have, you know, teachers and people who will care about you and she's in denial about the whole thing and uh, they let her know, like, you'll get a body, you'll have, you'll, you can be you again, and her beginning a fight, and knowing that she can't really beat Captain Britain, she decides to make a, you know, a fail-safe, you know, Hail Mary type of move, and trying to take over Psylocke, which 
once again, you know, does not work in her favor, and she ends up getting kind of expelled out of that as well. And uh, Xavier come, comes in and, you know, announces that, you know, she's going to have a body and kind of reawakens her. And it kind of ends with her kind of awakening this new body that's definitely different from what her original form was. Um, and kind of just looking off in the distance, kind of just showing that, you know, a new horizon, this new new life, and just depending on how she's gonna how she's gonna use this kind of second chance. You know, I, I reading it, I liked it. I thought it, you know, I'm not typically I'm not a huge fan of uh, an all woman cast, and it's not because of you know of an all woman cast. Sometimes it's just not written right and I genuinely like Excalibur and I really liked this issue because uh, it had a bunch of wholesome moments with uh, you know Psylocke, Captain Britain um, I can't uh, Jubilee yeah. I believe you yeah and just kind of sitting around a bonfire enjoying themselves you know separating themselves from you know the whole you know, Kokoan council meeting that they have going on with the other world, and uh, kind of sh- you know, almost humanizing them a little bit more, and showing like you know the relationships they have built, and then also their their strengths in themselves because you know, Adam Britton and uh, Silak they were pretty badass in this uh, in this issue. You know, they they didn't take crap from uh, Malice, who you know at this point is. I don't know how old, um, but you know, we're so confident in their abilities, and they did end up stopping her uh, with little to no effort. Um, I like the issue. I think it was kind of a game changer, but I don't think it was too too drastic. You know, the build up was. That you know, Malice was going to be a little bit more of a challenge for them, and they just ended up not being that. Um, which in itself is pretty cool. Uh, I'd give it a seven or eight. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, I I enjoyed this issue. It was really just um, Psylocke and Captain Britain versus Malice. Uh, there was some little elements going on here or there. Uh, they they did do, like, the touch on preparing for the Hellfire Gala, and I, I've it's always been a shame to me that, and I understood why, that Psylocke ended up in the Hellions and Captain Britain ended up in the in Excalibur because I feel like they, especially now with Krakoa, they really have an opportunity to mend the very, very damaged road between the two of them. Um, and I'd be excited to see more with them. This was a very like enjoyable issue by having sort of uh, like Betsy acknowledge that all of her old clothes fit Quanon and not her. Like, there's a, and then the burning of the dresses, like, it's a subtle, but really, like, affirming piece of the, their relationship. Right. 
And so I'd be keen to see where that's going, but I know Psylocke is going to be tied up in Hellion stuff for a while longer. Um, so I don't know that they're going to take it anywhere. I didn't honestly have a lot of affinity for the actual Malice piece so much as it was an avenue to see both Betsy and Quanon work together. And so I was I was here for it. I gave it a 7 out of 10. I, uh, I like the loose establishment that we're getting of, hey, remember all of the mutants? Well, we're working on just... If you recognize this mutant, if you recognize Malice, she's back now. And she's she's got a body, and she's potentially still crazy, but maybe she'll take this second chance for something different. And that's really what Krakoa offered, was a, a really interesting sort of soft reset. Mm -hmm. And getting to see these mutants go in new ways, and maybe see them unite in ways that would not have been possible before. Anyone else have anything to add to Excalibur? Uh, no, I think I'm good. No, I'm good. Alright. Well, that brings us to the end of the lightning reviews. So, now, let's, uh, let's do our top three. Uh, everyone just, um... We'll, we'll go down the list and we'll each share what our top three issues this week and our favorite moment. Um, so let's let's start with Isaiah. What were your, your top three issues and your favorite moment, favorite panel? Um, I would say number three would probably be Excalibur. And I think my favorite moment was probably when... Um, Captain Britain and uh, Psylocke, they kind of had uh, Psylocke's dagger up to Emma Frost, and it was kind of they were like, "Oh, well, it's kind of stuck inside of her." I thought that scene, that was a good panel. Um, overall, I enjoyed the issue. I would say for number two, I would say that I liked Immortal Hulk, mostly for the art. You know, it was really it was really cool to see, especially with me being like a horror fan. Uh, you know, there's a plug for uh, the horror podcast soon to come. Um, and then my number one pick would probably be King in Black. Uh, that overall, I, we already discussed that why I like that. I think that we all can say that we enjoyed that one uh, just because of the, the whole ending piece. But the art itself was really good as well. Awesome. And, uh, Tom? Okay, my top three. Number three, I'm going to put a Mortal Hulk because I just need to have some separation of emotion on that. Um, but I do like the overall story that's being told. I love the crazy zaniness of it. I love the creativity of this entire run. Uh, I would put Venom at number two. And I love the, uh, I like Eddie Brock. I like the way they're kind of unpacking his story. I like the tie. I know people, probably people that are really into into Venom might be sick of the whole connection to his son and everything, but I actually like it. And then King in Black, number five, I would put it as number one. And I would say the art panel that I enjoyed the most would be the cover for King in Black. 
<laughs> How's that? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna allow it, but that's almost cheating. <laughs> Because that is a gorgeous cover, I but love no, it. it. But it deserves the love, so okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna <laughs> dig you too hard on it. Uh, uh, and Brandon. Uh, so my top three for this week were had Marauders at number three, I had Immortal Hulk at number two, and I had uh, King in Black at number one. Just a, a very solid lineup for this week, and my favorite um, panel of the week just has to go to uh, King in Black, the double-page spread of Eddie wielding the Mjolnir Silver Surfer board axe that was just too crazy and it made me laugh out loud uh and i uh, yeah i just i loved it so yeah awesome um for mine i gave my top three to uh venom 34 immortal hulk number 45 and number one king in black number five for my favorite panel, it is also from King in Black number five, but it's uh, later in the issue after the battle has been won. There is one panel where there's, you know, the symbiotes have faded, and it is there's black symbiote goo raining from the sky, and you see it's Cap and Black Panther and a couple other heroes. You just see the back of their heads looking up and you see kind of eclipsing the sun is this outline of glowing venom Eddie Brock with his hair blowing like the goddamn sentry. Like he looks like the sentry in this shot, which outside of Sentry's original run, I feel like most of his appearances don't earn how majestic he looks. But in this, like, Eddie looking like the Sentry, I'm just like, yeah, I'm here for this. You you look great. <laughs> um, and so that's all the stuff we loved, but there's also every, every week we read some comics, there's some that we don't. So now it is time for... All right. Isaiah, what was your your worst pick this week? Your uh, your cream of the crappy. <laughs> it was gonna be Avengers the Mech one. You didn't read that one. Come on. Uh, okay, so what, <laughs> but we know that's the one that we don't like. Um. Yeah, but that's the one I get to drive by. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, my least favorite one. Um. Probably would have to be probably American Chavez, just because it was so uneventful, and I have high hopes for it. I mean, I I like her as a character, and so far I've just been kind of disappointed with the run itself. Yeah, I can, I can, I can hear that, uh, Tom. I guess I'll have to pick on the Avengers book. Um, I just it, like we talked about in our review, it it was much to do about nothing. Yeah. And it ended up with with nothing that would track into a next story. It was based on a trope. 
Um, so I will go with the Avengers book. All right, and Brandon? Yeah, I, uh, I also ended up going for the Avengers book. Um, just not that great in my opinion, and uh, I didn't I didn't enjoy it. Just very average. Yeah, and mine, it is no surprise, like Isaiah mentioned, Avengers Max Strike is not a good comic, and it's... I I feel like I'm missing the promotional piece on why it exists, but it's it's not great, and if I have to not pick on the easy target, uh, the Avengers issue 44 was a pretty weak end to the the Phoenix finale. Uh, It was... Lukewarm at best. It wasn't mech strike bad, but if if you have limited comics to buy each week, I don't think that's the one that's going to wow you. Which is a shame because it's the end of a, a six part little mini series. You could easily just close your eyes and just <laughs> throw a dart, damage the comic book, and that comic book would probably still be better. <laughs> Um, and that's the show so thank you all so much for coming and reviewing these comics and thank you the viewers for tuning in and listening Uh, just want to shout out that uh, we do have our Patreon at patreon.com slash notarobotpodcast where we have tiers starting at just $1 a month where you can contribute to us uh, and We'll continue bringing the content you love and make sure to follow us on the socials and hit us up if there's anything you want to hear more about or anything you want to correct us on or if there's any comic creator or contributor whose name I've butchered, please hit me up on social media and let me know how wrong I am. I'm happy, happy to correct myself. But there's only one way we say goodbye around here. Until next time, be good to each other. And don't be a robot. Thank you.